I encourage you, even as we go through this message, there are points that will be getting brought up, just things that, you know, applications the Lord has burdened me with as I was going through this that I'll be sharing with you, and I trust that you'll ask God to open your hearts as we are going through you know, this time of our service just to prep you for when we observe his table. It is a, it's not a light time, it's a very serious time, and when there are things that are between you and God, you have no business taking this, these elements. And you need to take it very seriously. We'll cover that more. But um, I just trust you'll use that time. God would use it as he works in us this morning. There are some things, and I, I don't know how to say this. It doesn't sound bad, but there are just some things I get sick of saying. Um, sometimes it's with kids, little ones. You know, Stop doing that. No, don't put the keys in that. Bad things happen. Three minutes later, what happens? No, don't put the keys in that. Bad things happen. No, it's not good to throw a knife at your sister. Quit that. You know, just, whatever it may be. I'm going to get in trouble for that one. <laughs> but there are things you, you, you just don't want to keep saying some things. Some things you should never get sick of talking about. And here, you know, we've been looking at this text. It's, Paul is giving uh, tidbits and wisdom about witnessing to other people and he's showing things that should be involved in our lives. This is not a how-do-you-witness text. This is a what-should-be-in-you text that will help you to witness better. And one of the things that we should never get sick of as we are speaking with people is sharing our faith. Sharing how it was or what happened, what the situation was to a point where we came to Jesus. Now I get this, okay? And, and maybe, you're, maybe you're one of these people. Some people came to Christ at a very early age. Some people accepted Christ. They experienced the mercy of God they didn't have to go through some of what some of us have had to go through of having years of regrets. Looking back and seeing, man, I wish I hadn't had to go through this one. I made some really foolish decisions. Some people didn't have to go through that. Some people experienced that mercy and they placed their trust in Jesus early. And, and I, I've heard this phrasing, my salvation experience was really not a, a big deal. Can I encourage you with something this morning? Your salvation experience was a massive deal. Think of what is happening here. God allowed you as a young person to be able, He opened your eyes so you could see, I've got sin in my life. There are consequences for this sin, and God, if He doesn't judge that sin, is not a just God. As a young person, people can understand this. And some have. God allowed you to see your sin as He sees it. I'll use this phrase, before it got out of hand. And you came to Christ. You experienced his mercy, His grace, He drew you before you had all these consequences 
for sin that some people just live with on a regular basis. That is a huge deal that God opened your eyes. There are some people who have gotten old and they still haven't had their eyes opened. They still haven't been able to see, even, even with their track record, that our sin is something that has to be dealt with. You should be very thankful. So as you look back on your testimony, on what God has done, it should cause you to be excited. It should cause you to be grateful for what He's done. But here's the key. The key with your testimony, and so often I've heard it explained this way, here's what I went through and here's what I did to come to Christ. That's not a testimony. You may have a little bit of, okay, this is where I was, but this is what Jesus did. This is how Jesus broke through. That's what we're going to see today is the breakthrough. This is how Jesus broke into my life, opened my eyes, did the drawing work. He did, and that's the point, He did what needed to be done. And so what I'm describing right now is the divine side of salvation. And that's not the end of the story. And both of these are going to come up in this text. There's the divine side. God does the drawing. There's the human side. We choose to accept and follow, receive, whichever synonym you want to throw in there. A miracle happens as you and I come to Christ. That is an awesome thing that you and I should actively not passively, actively be bringing back to our minds. If you're not thinking often on what Jesus did for you, listen to me, okay? If you're not thinking often on it, you are dwindling spiritually because you're not thinking on the Gospel. You're thinking about you. You're thinking about the things you're going through. We need to remember what Jesus has done and for what it's worth. If you and I will spend more time focusing on the Gospel, if we'll spend more time thinking on what Jesus did, you're going to spend a whole lot less time thinking on all these petty, useless issues that we like to yak about. We need to think on the Gospel, actively remembering what He's done. Okay, I'm judging when I say this. So this, isn't, this isn't necessarily accurate. Bear with me. I would dare say in a group, even this little size, there was a large percentage of us this week who didn't spend five minutes thinking on Jesus and what He's done for us. It must be active. I say that because of this. If I don't actively think on Jesus, it doesn't happen. I am just like you. I'm busy. I got things going on, I got things to do, I got places I gotta go, I got issues I gotta deal with, and if I don't actively think on Jesus, it just doesn't happen. We need to actively think on Him. Maybe it means putting a reminder on our phone once a day to think on the gospel. Our God is good, and we need to remember this. As we dwell on petty stuff, we're not going to be thinking on the gospel and vice versa. Okay. Last time, last time we saw Paul. And what Paul had done was, and just get this picture back in your mind, 
He got beat up really, really bad. They literally tried to kill him. Now, I've walked on the stones where they would have drugged him out, where they would have taken, tried to take swipes at him, push his head through some of those stones. They beat him up bad enough that he had to be helped out of there. He couldn't go on his own power. This would, they tried to kill Paul. The Roman captain gets news of it. He comes through and he rescues him. So he's being led away at this point that we're at now. He's being led away and he stops the Roman captain and he says, Hey bud, very politely, I want to share, I want to talk with these people. I want to be able to have a word with these people who hate me, who are trying to kill me. And the Roman captain says, Okie dokie. There's his original words. The captain gives him permission to speak to the people. Okay, all that being said, let's catch you up on your notes. We'll go through those quickly. I should have said this at the beginning. Uh, Al, if you could, there's a stack on the back. If anybody needs the notes, desires them, just put your hand up. He'll have a stack, and we'll go from there. Um, I will try to go slow while they're coming out to you. Uh, that was not my intention to go slow. Go ahead and put your hands back up if you need one, and we'll get you going. So we've got two... Okay. All right, so here we go. First thing we picked up with, with the beginning of this section, was Paul's persistent witness. His persistent witness. Now here's the, the, the thing we started pushing here is, most of the time, you and I like to take the easy way out. We really like that. Whether it be with, with habits we're trying to break, no matter what it may be, we like the easy way. It's more comfortable for us. It's that way with our witnessing too. We like to take the easy way out. We shouldn't. Paul didn't. So, points we looked at. He adapted to people. We're going to see this popping up over and over. He was very extremely polite. We're not going to reread all of this, but in verse 37, 21-37, uh, he was very polite to people. He was respectful, even to this Roman who the, I mean, the Jews hate the Romans. That's just the way it was. He was extremely polite, and the phrase we used was one that Paul used. He's being all things to all people that he might by all means save some. That, is what, that, that was Paul's heartbeat. That should be our heartbeat. Let's reach out to people. Let's meet them where they are. Not expect them to become religious first. It doesn't work that way. So he adapted to people. He practiced respect. Same concept, verse 38. In 39, he wasn't demanding his rights, and he did have rights as a Roman, but he was polite, he was respectful. Our application statement on that one was keep reminding ourselves of God's sovereignty and practice grace even toward those who are against us. Paul was an excellent picture of that for us. Then we looked at Paul's past life. And what Paul's going to do here is something that Jesus told him not to do years before, and now he's in a position where he kind of doesn't have much of an option. But he's going to appeal to this dramatic change that occurred in his life and use that to try to draw the Jews you know, to Jesus. So first thing we saw was he adapted again to the persecutors. Same thing, extremely respectful. Extremely respectful, and he didn't blast them. And I, Have you ever had that? We'll take a time out for just a minute. You ever had one of those moments where people are doing things and you speak the truth? And you just... 
Blast them with truth. Does the Bible tell us to speak truth? Well, kind of, sort of. It says speak the truth in love. Our attitude should be Jesus' attitude. It should be what Paul was demonstrating here. Uh, point B, he was a practicing zealot. So he's pointing, out, he's pointing out to them, here's what I was. This is the one section where he says, here's where I came from. And the whole purpose is to gain their trust. He said, I was a zealot just like you. I'm not anti-Jew. I'm not anti-law. I'm not anti-temple like I'm being accused of. I was zealous to kill people just like you are. And he, he kind of gave them a way out. He was being really kind to them. The point with all of that that we looked at was he was concerned about the people trying to kill him more than he was his own welfare. So the application statement on that one, we should be willing to take advantage of opportunities placed before us to be a witness for Jesus. If, if I had to pray for one thing for you here today, it would be the one word, willing. You should be willing not just uh, kind of sort of if it happens, I might fall into it. No, desirous, willing, wanting to share the gospel. And that brings us to the text that we're going to be looking at today. So we ended up with last week just looking at the negative. Paul saying, here's what I was. This is what my life was like. Today, Paul's going to have a confrontation, he's looking backwards, with the Messiah. Now we've seen this text before, but it's interesting. He, this is going to be covered three times in Acts. He covers it in Acts 9. He's going to cover it here. And again, I think it's in chapter 26. The same account with just extra details. So this is an important incident in Paul's life. He's sharing how he came to Christ and God recorded it three times for us. So he's been fighting against this Messiah. He has been hating Jesus, hating Christians all this time. And now Jesus comes to him, just like he's come to many in this room today. Not in the same way, but the same thing happens. So today, we're going to see Jesus break into Paul's life in a very dramatic way and get his attention. That's our text for today. So let's pray, and we'll look at this new passage. Father, thank you for loving us. God, I thank you that you are in control. I thank you, God, even when the, these these hard things come. Lord, you are a sovereign God and we can trust you, whether we understand it or not. Help us, Lord, to look to you and think on you and be grateful to you. Lord, I ask as we look into your word that you would Lord, help the time to be profitable. I pray that you would uh, protect me as I preach, help my words to be accurate, help me not to be a distraction to the message you desire to have preached. And Lord, I ask most of all again that you would glorify yourself in some way this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, point number three. Paul is presented with Jesus. Paul is presented with Jesus. So Paul's going to describe again the... the, the Events of Acts chapter 9 where Jesus introduced himself. Jesus doesn't push himself. Jesus opens our eyes. He draws. He makes that introduction. But he made that introduction to Paul and Paul got converted. And that's, that's the goal. That's what Jesus desires is conversion. 
And this passage, again, this is one of many passages as we go through a New Testament, we're going to see this process of salvation occurring. We're going to see this, this, uh, the, the regeneration that happens in a person's life. But again, what we're going to look at mostly here is the divine side. And I believe the human side may be occurring in these verses, but we don't know when. But at a minimum, if it's not in this passage, it's going to be in our next one next week. But this is where we see both the human and the divine side, and both are totally necessary. So, here we'll see at least the divine. So let's look at our first thing. Protest of Jesus. The protest of Jesus. We're going to take these verses. It's verses 6 to 9. Let's just take them a phrase at a time. So verses 6 through 9. We'll start with just this first phrase, and it came to pass. Okay, in some ways you can almost look at this a little bit sarcastically. Here's the wording that we would use today. It so happened. It just so happened that this occurred. Now, here we know God is causing something to happen. God is the one that is in control. God, it came to pass because God says this is going to come to pass. Now keep in mind what's going on. Paul is in the middle of persecution. Paul is in the middle of sinning. Paul is trying to kill people. But do you realize that even when you and I are in the middle of our sin, we're in the middle of serving self, this is hard to understand sometimes. God is in total control even when you think you're the one that's in total control. God works, He does, works all things together for good. God is the one that is sovereign. And like it or not, it's above our pay grade. There are things, His ways are above our ways, His thoughts are above our thoughts. We're not going to understand it all. It's just not going to happen. But here, we see that God is in control. The one that's been thrown at me the most, I think, is... Uh, as far as having trouble understanding this, is looking, as was prayed earlier, looking at our country. Here we were, the the great missionary power of the world for 150 years, and we're not there anymore. We have gone down hard. And people have have expressed this, this, uh, this confusion. How can we say God's in control when all of a sudden everything's sin is seemed as good? That would, you know, everything's backwards. Everything that is bad is seen as good. Everything that is good is seen as bad. How can God be in control? Let me just tell you, He is. It's not about America. It's not about you. It's not about me. He's got His plan. Do I understand it? Absolutely not. But God is working. Here's what's exciting. He's working in each individual life. He is still drawing people to Himself. God is in control. So when we read this, it just came to pass. No, no. God was in control. It came to pass because God wanted it to come to pass. Here's our, I'm going to leave you with this. We know, we know theologically God's in control. I have to say these words. We need to have it affect us practically. Our practical theology should be God is in control. How do you know if that's your practical theology? You won't be griping about everything and, and worried. and Concerned, yes. It will not control your life because you're going to realize God is in control. 
That's hard. I get it. But he is. So it came to pass that as I made my journey, so Paul is on his way up on this journey. He's going from Jerusalem up to Damascus, roughly a 140-mile walk, let's say seven days. And I'm going to tell you what's going on in their minds. Paul is a zealot. He's excited to get to Damascus so he can punish some Christians. He's ready to go up and teach them who the one true God is. It's kind of like, think of it in this sense. I don't know if you, how many of you have been to Grand Canyon. It's going to be a three-day drive, roughly. You get out there, I'm going to tell you what's not going to happen, unless you're weird. Okay, so don't raise your hand. Uh, you're going to be getting there, and it's going to be an excitement building up. I want to see this thing. I want to see what this looks like. You're not going to be getting there and thinking, hard drive, I don't care anymore, I've just got to get this over with. You're going to be excited. That's where Paul was. Paul was a living zealot. He was on this journey and he wants to promote his religion. He is sinning. He's living for himself. And here's, here's the scary thing. He's flourishing in it. He was seen as quite... The, he was the man. Here he was, Gamaliel's pro, disciple. He is the man, and he is enjoying all of this that he's going through, and right in the middle of his flourishing, he's not seeking God. So he's like a lot of people today. Flourishing, not seeking God, as I was on my journey, and was come nigh unto Damascus about noon. So here he is, he's excited. Let's go get us some heretics. And they would have had a whole group of these heretics, which is us, that they're going to get. And so he would have had a group of people, probably a bunch of temple police, going up to get these heretics. And then at noon, something happens. Now why noon? I'll tell you, that here we got cloud cover over there. It is just downright brutal at noon. It will, it will bake you. And I think every day that I was there pretty much, especially in Jerusalem, up in that high, higher area, we were hitting 105, 107, somewhere in there. It was baking people, and the sun was bright. So here you've got the sun at its brightest, and that's going to keep people from saying, oh, this is just a dream. You didn't really experience this. Look at the end of verse 6. Suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me. This was a light that was bright enough to outshine the noonday sun. The first thing that came to my mind was Shekinah glory. This light was, was massively bright. I'm not saying it was Shekinah. I'm just saying this was a light that was extremely noticeable. You know, why did he use a light like this? I don't know. Couldn't God have just said, Saul... Your eyes are opened. Understand what I'm saying to you. Yes, he could have. That's what he's done with a number of us. It's just you know, the eyes. You understand now. You get it. Here he used this light to get Paul's attention. And that's the point. He got Paul's attention. He arrested him, if you will, on this trip. And that's what he needed. Verse number 7. I fell under the ground. I heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? First question I had as I read this one is, why would he fall to the ground? That makes no sense. 
I've been under a bright light before. I didn't fall. Lights don't knock you down. Let me tell you what would knock me down. If I have a bright light that's blinding me, and then I hear a voice come out of heaven talking to me, that's scary. And it makes your knees knock. And it's hard to stay up. Paul was fearful. Paul was scared out of his wits because now he is hearing this voice. And he hears Saul, Saul. Jesus has done this before. Remember when we hear the name two times? He's emphasizing, he's trying to get attention. Remember Martha, Martha? You're so busy about everything. Stop, be, stop fussing about Mary. He had to arrest and get her attention. He did the same thing to Peter. Simon, Simon, Satan's desired to have you. He's stopping him. He's getting his attention. I think the most prevalent one for me is, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And here's paraphrase what he said to them. He said, How often I desired. It was my will that you repent and come to me. I'm paraphrasing. This was my will and you said no. You resisted the will of God. And it bothered it, just like it bothers God, I'll say, when you resist His will. We need to submit to Him. But He uses this phrase with Saul, 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 listen up, Saul, this is important. And He says what's important. Why are you persecuting me? Everything I read in Scripture, Paul never met Jesus on this earth, during his earthly life. There was no connection. There was no time they came together. So how would he be persecuting Jesus when he had never met Jesus? He's persecuting Jesus by persecuting his body, the church. So he's, he's coming after Saul and saying, you are persecuting my body. Now, let's just camp there for just a minute. Does that ever happen today? Does the body of Christ get persecuted today? I'm going to say obviously, yes. Now where my mind goes, first place it goes, Middle East, North Korea, Russia, China, where if you're a Christian and you, if you make those statements, I am a follower of Jesus, you get persecuted. You have trouble getting work. You have to remember in Bethlehem, there's a small group of Christians, like 18%. They can't find work because everything's given to the Muslims. It's rough. Here's the problem. Does that ever happen anywhere else? I'm going to suggest to you that it can happen in this room. Christians can persecute the body of Christ. Christians can go after Jesus with our attitudes. How do we do this? Sowing discord, gossip, silent treatment, avoiding people, not encouraging people, whatever it may be. When you go after and make attacks at Jesus' body, you're attacking Jesus. And here he's giving Saul a major warning. What you do, and you know this passage, in, the, in as much as you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it to me. That doesn't exempt us. We need to be careful how we're responding to other Christians. 
Think about you've done it to me the next time you think about going off on somebody. Whether to their face or behind their back. It's a serious matter. Verse number 8. And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And now that can be read two different ways. It can be read, Who are you, Lord? Are you the Lord? Or it can be read, Who are you, Lord? With the emphasis on the who. Trying to figure out who he is. Both ways would be accurate. I would put it him saying, Are you really him? Is it you? So he says, Who are you, Lord? He said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you will persecute. The one you're persecuting. So I'm Jesus. Now Jesus, that would be our Joshua. That's a common name in Jerusalem. Joshua is very common. So Jesus says, I'm Jesus. I'm the one from Nazareth where no good thing can come out of. You know who I am. I'm the one that you are persecuting. That word literally means pursuing. I'm the one you're coming after right now. We're going to look at that word a little bit more in a few minutes. But he says, I'm Jesus of Nazareth. Can you picture Paul's mindset? I'm imagining this. This is not what the text says. Jesus of Nazareth? That guy was a charlatan. That guy was a con man. That guy was a phony messiah and he was so phony we killed him. We executed this guy. What is this dead man doing talking to me out of heaven? Can you see where this would be an eye opener? The one you think is the, is the con artist and now he's talking to me? First phrase, and we're going to spend some time here. He is alive. We thought he was dead, but he is alive. The resurrection wouldn't have been a big deal. The idea in in general for Paul. He believed, he was a Pharisee. He believed that there is a literal resurrection. He has never experienced somebody who's resurrected coming back and talking to him. This resurrection is something special. The one for Jesus was a special resurrection. Let me tell you something. If you have trouble believing the resurrection, if you don't believe that Jesus literally rose from the dead, you're not saved. You don't have salvation. You have to believe in the resurrection from the dead. If if that tomb is not empty, we don't have a Savior. Do you realize that the Jews and the Romans, both of those groups would have given anything to find that body. They wanted the body of Jesus. They wanted to prove the resurrection did not happen. But there was no body there. He is risen. That's the cornerstone of our faith. Let's turn for a moment. Turn over to 2 Corinthians. Keep your place here, but we'll be in, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians. We'll be there for just a few minutes. 1 Corinthians 15. And stay there for a few minutes. We'll look at one quick passage and then two here, and then we'll go back. 1 Corinthians 15, starting with verse 12. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how, how say some among you there's no resurrection from the dead? But if there's, if there's no resurrection from the dead, then Christ is not risen. 
And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain. It's worthless. It's no good. And your faith is the same way. It's also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He raised not whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, and you are yet in your sins, then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. It's not worth it. If there's no resurrection, people hang it up and go have fun somewhere. Go do whatever you want to do because nothing that we're going through is worth it. This truth of the resurrection of what Jesus did, this is the confidence that we have. It's all based on this one fact. He was resurrected. And He made sure here that Paul saw, he knew that Jesus was alive. If you want to be saved today, you need to understand this same truth. Now he said in this verse, you are persecuting me. I'm the one that you're persecuting. That word means to pursue. He is pursuing him. picture that came to my mind was like a dog after a rabbit. They get that scent and they don't let go. They just keep pushing You are pursuing me in that manner. Look back a few verses in verse 9 in this 1 Corinthians passage. Paul says, I am the least of the apostles, that I'm not not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted, I pursued the church of God. Turn with me again. Romans chapter 14. Romans 14, verse 19. Romans 14, verse 19. Let us therefore follow after. That's the word that we have translated here, persecute. It means to pursue. Let us therefore pursue the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. So he's saying, let's pursue peace and edification. Look over in Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. After this, we'll get back into Acts. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I, here's our word again, follow after, I pursue, if that I may apprehend that which Christ, I'm reading that wrong, I apologize. I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended, of Christ Jesus. Go down to verse 14. I press, same word, toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So here's what we have in this picture. Paul has gone from pursuing killing Christians, pursuing hurting Jesus, and now Paul is pursuing, following after, pressing towards helping Christians edifying Christians. He's gone from hating to loving. Paul has gone from hunting Christians to trying to help them. This 
is what a genuine relationship with Jesus looks like. It totally changes your life. Why do I say this? Because we've got too many today who have been told, all you've got to do is pray this prayer and you're all right. That's not true. There needs to be an inward transformation that God does, that He draws you to Himself and you respond to His offer. You need to receive Jesus, which changes your life. It changes what your pursuit is. It changes everything. People, if that hasn't happened, at a minimum, you need to step back and say, Jesus, what am I doing? What have I really believed? There must be a transformation. And that's what we see happening with the Apostle Paul. Verse 9. And they that were with me indeed saw that light. And they were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spoke to me. They got a little taste this is where I think a lot of Americans are today. They get this little taste of the power of God. They get a taste of the awesomeness of God. They understand who God is. They believe in God. But that doesn't mean they're converted. You believe in God, in one God, you do well. The devil believes and trembles. Believing in God is not enough. And you think, okay, they just saw this miracle. They saw this, this big working of God and wouldn't that do something for them? No. Miracles don't save people. You can have someone come and present you with the best gospel presentation in the world and that doesn't save you. You need God to draw you and do a work in you, open your eyes. You need to understand the gospel and you need to receive it. And that it is a supernatural work that God has to do. Now, I don't understand, how, again, how all this works. God has, in a sense, limited himself. And he said, faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. He has said, you present this book, you present the gospel, that's when faith is going to come to people. We need to be doing what he says to do. We need to be presenting the gospel. So does that mean that if somebody, this got thrown at me, if somebody believes in God, they won't go to heaven? Well, if they're just believing in God, no, they're not going to go to heaven. It's got to be through Jesus alone, by his, by his authority alone, by his sacrifice alone. Why can I make that statement? People, this is important because we believe in the authority of this book. If this book says it, it's true. The Word of God is true. Can I make up some other doctrines with my logic? Yes, I can. I can go, my logic can take me all kind of places and I can make up all kind of belief systems that are based on my logic. That's why we constantly go back to Matthew 7. The Word of God must be your authority. It's not just hear it, it's obey it. This must be our authority. This has the answers for us. So when I believe something else, I'm kind of like writing my own Bible. And that is not the path we want to go down. God allowed there to be witnesses here when He had this experience he allowed there to be witnesses people saw what happened 
Maybe so that if he got back to this point, he's in Jerusalem saying, here's what happened, there's witnesses. So for whatever reason, God has allowed Paul, Saul, to go through this process. Second point, Paul's perplexed. Paul's perplexed. Verse 10. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, arise, go to Damascus, and there shall be told thee the things which are appointed to thee to do. So he says, what shall I do, Lord? Supreme One. Now whether he's acknowledged Christ as Savior at this point, I don't know. I don't know when it happened exactly, but I do know this. At a minimum, he knows that this voice that he's heard, that had this light around it, he's responsible to that voice. That voice has some power, and he needs to acknowledge this voice. But the second part of that verse, he tells him, go to Damascus, and that's when I'm going to show you what you're supposed to do. God has a plan for Paul's life. And listen, he's got a plan for your life. We don't know what those plans are. We don't know what he... It's not like he's laying all this out for us like he did for Paul. And this is encouraging to me. If he's got a plan for your life, when we become followers of him, do you realize that makes you special in the eyes of God? He wants you to accomplish something for him? He cares about us. He wants us walking with him. He wants us having this fulfillment. And that's what He wants us to do. He wants to use you and me. But the question I've got, and I had to ask myself, am I actively walking with Him? Am I actively putting myself in the way so that He can lead me, so that He can use me? Or am I busy doing my own thing? God wants to use us. That, that, the word that He uses here in verse 10 the thing, there's going to be told thee which, the things which are appointed. It's a military term. Here's what he's saying. Go there and you'll get your marching orders. You go there and I'm going to tell you exactly what you need to do. What would have happened if Paul had said, you know, I'm going back to where the doctors are. I've had enough of this. He needed to go to Damascus. Christian, you need to follow step by step. If you're not in the middle of where God wants you right now, don't expect any more leading. We need to follow Jesus, and it's a step-by-step following of Him. I've heard a lot of people say these words. Maybe you said these words. I want to know God's will for my life. Usually it's, okay, God, what do you want in the future? Where, where do I go to school? Where do I get married? What are blah, 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 blah. We want to know what's around the bend. I'm going to tell you what God's will is for your life today. You ready? He wants you to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Him. He has saved us. Ephesians 2, 8-10 through 10, He saved us for a purpose unto good works that we should walk in them. He wants us to follow Him. He wants us to be submitted to Him and living for Him. That is God's will for our lives. Don't be so worried about the next decisions coming down the road. You make your next decision a right one. That's what He desires for every one of us. Verse 11, And when I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of them that were with me, I came to Damascus. So here's Saul, the great zealot, the man himself, self-confident, he's the oppressor, and now he's humbled to 
have to have somebody help him go to that city. But I appreciate the fact that he said, let's go to Damascus. I, want, I need to know the next step. He humbled him. He allowed himself to be humbled. Now, I'm not sure, again, if, if when he was converted, but this phrase that he asked, if he was converted by verse 10, what shall I do, Lord? That's a question every one of us should be asking very, very regularly. Lord, what do you want from me? What do you want me to do? How do you want me to serve you? Make my next step a right one. Help me. That should be our attitude. And this blindness is just going to be a good reminder for him. It may have been what messed him up with his thorn in the flesh. We don't know that. But it would be a good reminder for him to look back and see what God had done in his life. Here he had a limitation. And we've all got these. His limitation was that blindness and it could have discouraged him. You've got your limitations. Serve God through them. Don't use them as an excuse to do what you want to do. We need to serve God through our limitations. It was God's will that Saul go to Damascus to get his marching orders. He could have resisted. He didn't. He made a right choice. He submitted to and he followed Jesus. That is exactly what you and I need to be doing on a daily basis. Last point. Jesus' power is shown. Verse 12 and 13. And one Ananias. So this is Paul, Saul talking to these Jews about what had happened. There was a guy, Ananias, a devout man according to the law. Keep in mind, he's talking to Jews who have this opinion that he's anti-Jew, anti-law, anti-temple, He's giving them truth to say, this isn't true, this isn't what Christianity is. One Ananias, a devout man according to the law, pro-law, having a good report of all the Jews which are there, pro-Jew, he came to me and he said unto me, Brother Saul, I'm in the same place Ananias is. I respect Jews, I respect the law. He said, receive thy sight in the same hour I looked upon him. So he's showing that he is pro-Jew, pro-law. And then he even makes the point, this man who is pro-Jew, God used him to do a miracle in my life. So he confirmed his, his Jewishness. It was confirmed by God. And the fact that he's brother, he called him brother, both of them are devout. I do like this phrasing when he said at the end, he says, receive thy sight. And the word looked upon... That is the exact same word. A lot of times translators would like to put a different term to give variety. Here's what he's saying. Ananias said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. In that same hour, I received my sight. He said, do it. It happened. So this miracle occurred. So what Paul was doing here, Paul is simply sharing his testimony of what God did in his life. God made these changes. God did this. And listen, that's what our testimonies need to be mostly comprised of. If you can't look back and point and say, look, here's what God did in my life, there's a problem. And I would love nothing more than to help you solve that problem. God, our testimony should be what God has done. If all people know about is you, when you finish a testimony... It's not a good testimony. 
It's not something you need to push because it's not about us. And today, you've got people, maybe you've experienced this, if you talk about faith in Jesus alone, people scoff at this. They don't like that. I remember one guy telling, I mentioned, he said something about the virgin birth, and I, I explained how this is truth, how the Scripture prophesied, and he said, you ever seen that happen today? No, it doesn't happen. Then it's not true. He started scoffing. They're going to scoff the virgin birth. They're going to scoff the fact of God coming in the flesh to this earth. It doesn't make a lot of sense, humanly speaking. It's what the Scripture teaches. You're going to get a lot of scoffing as we give the Gospel. Paul apologized for nothing. He gave the truth. He gave it lovingly. He gave it with a good attitude. And that's exactly what we need to do. No apologies, no retreat, no surrender. We give the gospel, whether people think it's silly or not. Let's just give the truth and trust Jesus to use it. Your application statement. Let's strive to connect with people and be faithful in our responsibility to give the Word of God. It's God's responsibility to draw people. That is totally out of our pay grade. We do nothing with that. God draws people. It's our responsibility to give the Word of God that God's going to use. Let's be faithful with our part to do what we can to further His kingdom. For whatever reason, God delights to use us. And He wants to use us. Let's get in that process. Let's stand for a moment. If you're here today and you've never become a follower of Jesus, you're, you're, you're just like the people in this text. Religion won't save you. Your good works won't save you. We come to faith through Jesus alone. It's faith in Jesus. That's the only thing that will help us. If you'd like to know more about that, would you please pull me aside? Pull somebody else aside. We would love to show you the truth from the Word of God and how you can have that relationship with our Lord. Christian, we need to actively remember the Gospel. This needs to be a part of our everyday life to remember what He did for us and strive to fulfill our marching orders, if you will. Let's be making disciples for Him. Let's be wanting to glorify Him with our lives. That should be a passion. If it's not there, beg Him to give it to you. And we need to do that often. You do business with God. As Bethany plays.